The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Greetings, I'm Rob Cox, the global editor of Reuters Breaking News in New York. So how bad will the Republican tax plan be for New York City? That's what I wanted to know from Alicia Glenn. She's the deputy mayor for America's largest city, where she runs housing and economic development. The bill, which lawmakers in the House and Senate are trying to reconcile before the end of the year, will slam the city pretty hard, Glenn tells me. Some 700,000 taxpayers will get hit because they may no longer be able to deduct their state and local taxes against their federal ones. This is pure redistribution from places that traditionally vote for Democrats to corporations who will see their tax rates fall to around 20 percent from 35 percent. It'll hurt property values, too, and services for the 8.5 million residents of the five boroughs, rich and poor alike. So what's the most powerful city hall in the country going to do about it? Well, there's lots of public lobbying of lawmakers, and there's lots of behind-the-scenes discussions, of course, too. And after work, after a beer or two, it's talk of secession, Glenn joked. Personally, I don't think it's really a laughing matter anymore. In any event, New Yorkers are stoic folks. They just get on with it, which is what Glenn says will happen, as it did following the detonation of a pipe bomb in the subway earlier this week. Anyway, give a listen to my chat with Alicia Glenn. All right, Alicia, we got to talk about the, the tax bill that's somehow working its way through Congress. The House and the Senate have to pull their two together. But either way you look at it, it seems pretty damaging to to cities, and particularly cities uh, where, where you have high uh, local and t- local taxes, uh, where property prices are high, how is New York City, um, wh- how are you guys making your case to Congress, and how are you also going to deal with whatever comes out of it, should it be quite punitive? Well, Rob, there are a bunch of different things we're looking at. Number one, um, if, the, if the bill were to be passed in its current form on the SALT um, issue, you know, that's going to have an impact directly on at least 700,000 New Yorkers are going to wind up having a significant increase in their tax bill. So this is not, you know, sort of a fringe issue. Um, you're talking about 700,000 filers yeah. are going to see an increase. So this is of great concern to us because we're in a situation where we want to have people have more money in their pocket, not less money in their pocket. Um, and it's incredibly, incredibly um uh, does not. It's regressive. It's, yeah. it's actually quite regressive. I mean, do you guys see this as like a screw New York City bill? You know, I think that that's that's a nice way for people to sort of characterize it. I don't think it's a screw New York City bill per se, I mean, it because San it's obviously too. yeah. But you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I think has not been as well reported is that although this in many ways is a partisan issue, it's also allowing mayors across the city who are not necessarily on the same ideological. Uh, playing field mm. to come together on the field. So, you know, we've been doing work at the U.S. Conference of Mayors and talking to mayors across the city, many of whom are Republicans, who are also saying this is outrageous. I mean, yeah, so a- what have you done? Like, I mean, because this really must unite anyone who, if you have, you know, you have high taxes, state taxes, part of it, of course, local taxes, property taxes, and then, of course, you have this cut in the mortgage interest deduction, which hits places where, where housing prices are high, which, again, cities. How are, are you guys mobilizing? Is there some way to rise up? (laughs) Well, yeah, as I said, I mean, there's a massive effort underway being driven literally by the folks who are in our federal affairs office down in Washington, but also through these more traditional venues of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, the National League of Cities, various progressive caucuses, and again, not progressive caucuses. You know, it's city administrators who actually have to figure out how to continue to provide their citizens with the services that they need, um, particularly in states where there are low state income taxes, but higher local property taxes and other surcharges that allow cities to effectively uh, 
deliver services and build infrastructure. Mm. Um, so that is happening, you know, both in a very overt way and then quite frankly in a little bit of a back of the room strategic way, right? Because a lot of this is being played out in the press. And I think there are a lot of Congress people, particularly on the Republican side, who would like to be against this bill, um, but need to get to that place in a less overtly political pro-democratic way. Um, so there's, I would say there's efforts going on in multiple different venues, mm -hmm. both um, official and unofficial, right? The bottom line is, the bill is going to be bad for New York City in a lot of ways. Individual filers are going to be paying more money. Um, should things like private activity bonds be removed from the bill, it would have a huge impact on our housing programs and on other sorts of economic development programs. Um, and you know, predictions from the street say that you know the real estate market could drop by as much as ten percent. Yeah, I saw Moody's and had a report out yeah, the other day. Yeah, and and let's that. be honest, that has an impact in a couple of different ways, right? We raise a lot of money from transaction fees when people buy and sell real estate, and then also if the assessed value of the market goes down by ten percent, that will have a significant increase in our revenue collection, which again puts a strain on the services that New Yorkers need the most, which is compounded then by the fact that how do you think the federal government's going to pay for this tax cut for rich people? Right? This is a tax cut for rich people and for corporations. Mm. And in order to then balance a budget, it's going to come out of one pocket and one pocket only. Yeah. And that's going to be money that the government provides to cities and to human beings to have a better quality of life. So this is like a double or triple insult. So great bill from your perspective. Oh, yeah, fabulous. <laughs> I mean, but as a deputy mayor for um, housing and economic development, I mean, one of your one of your most important roles is to go out and market New York City to corporations. Now, the corporations are the ones who are getting the cut here. This is this is clearly a, 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 a bill that if it does one thing, clearly it does cut the, the corporate tax rate from 35 to something around 20 percent. That money is, of course, then going to be showered on all the wage earners and workers of the world. Am I having share. a deja vu all <laughs> I, over again, trickle down Reaganomics I, moment? I, I, yeah, it, there's it's, it's it's pretty it's a def, it's a defining bill for Reaganom for for trickle down theory. But but is that is will there at least be some countervailing positive impact in your ability to bring people to bring corporations who are now newly um, rich because they don't pay as much taxes? Or are you, is it still the problem that like, well, my employees are now going to have to pay more money because they yeah, have taxes I mean, I, in New York? I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's two answers to that question. One is New York City is not in the business, actually, of actively recruiting corporations. You know, we are the home of more Fortune 500 companies than any other city in the country. We have an unbelievably robust set of um, startups and medium-sized companies, and unlike a lot of other cities in America, we are not actively recruiting or marketing the city to to acquire more corporations. Come on, it's New York. Who yeah. needs to well, sell it? First of all, I don't need to sell it that much. <laughs> not to be in sort of a you know a smug way, but the issue for us is less about trying to recruit new companies and to make sure that the companies who are here are growing and continuing to hire New Yorkers, right? And that we're continuing to see the people and the corporations who are here and the institutions here reinvest or double down in the city. Mm -hmm. And that's why, yes, on one hand, the argument would be, well, now the corporations are getting a big tax cut. They will pay their people more or they'll reinvest in New York City. I think most economists who are talking about this right now don't believe that the increased value from the tax cut is going to go to employees necessarily. It can go to shareholders, which again buybacks, dividends, exactly. And that you know you could also argue, oh well, that means that you know the the widows and orphans and the pension fund in Seattle will have higher returns. You know, it's, it's just too attenuated. So the bottom line is, we know that corporate tax cuts will mean reduced spending on the things that cities depend on: infrastructure, mass transit, social services, education. 
healthcare. I mean, all of the things that make New York City what it is today are potentially in jeopardy by such an enormous tax cut Do you worry that you're going to see an exodus of, of, of high highly paid, talented workers? You know, that's always been the the sort of out there in the ether, um, that we will become too high tax a jurisdiction and that people will automatically flee to Florida. You know, my view on that is, look, it's one thing to go to Florida for two weeks in February. It's another thing to live there. <laughs> now, that may be because I'm a born and bred New Yorker and I used to go see my grandma in, in Florida, like many of us did. I, I do think there is a tipping point. I don't think we're at that tipping point. I think um, the unbelievable support that we have gotten from business leaders in New York City in our efforts um, around this bill and their continued commitment to New York City um, really has demonstrated that at the end of the day, New York will not only survive this unfortunate event uh, that may occur, but will get stronger in the end. I think it's actually bringing New Yorkers together in a really positive way. There's also way. something, it's slightly uh, odd uh, in the sense that the tax cut will benefit those who own corporations, right? So if, if you own a corporation, you now, in theory, have 15% greater claim on the earnings. Wall Street is, of course, in theory, a great holder of capital, should be a great beneficiary. Wall Street, I use that in sort of like the generic term. But, but at the same time, the people who work on Wall Street are the ones who pay the high marginal tax rates. I mean, is there is there not a sort of countervailing benefit for the business of of New York City, of Wall Street from this thing? Well, I think your question is to the extent that the people who are making money on Wall Street by being allocators of capital and investors, holders, of, holders capital. of capital, will make more money and then in theory pay more taxes, which should inure to our benefit. I, I think you know that, that just, there's so many built-in assumptions about A, the number of those people who actually live in New York City versus living in other parts of, of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, to what extent people are available and able to shelter their income. I think if, you know, there's a lot of people trying to figure out exactly what's in these various bills. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that we have really a clear, clear understanding um, of how it's going to play out. But I think we do know that on balance, you know, more New Yorkers are going to wind up paying higher taxes and not necessarily the people who should be paying higher taxes. I mean, this is one of the great ironies of the rhetoric of this bill. You know, again, our preliminary analysis shows that 700,000 filers in New York are going to pay more taxes. And we know that of those 700,000 people, the vast majority of them fall squarely within the middle class. Mm -hmm. Now, that to me is nuts. Right. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about a tax bill that's going to put middle class New Yorkers at risk, we've lost a forest through the trees. Now, you said that's 700,000 people, which is probably. Filers. Yeah, OK, fi- you know, filers. That's probably more than are um, in the states of South Dakota and North Dakota combined, which have four votes. And even and three of those would be Republican votes that vote for the, the Senate bill. In, are you is there not like a bigger problem here with American governance and democracy. Oh my, in the now, sense we're, that now we're getting, I know, deep. We're getting, now we're getting into Hamilton but, and, and deep. No, but, but I mean, seriously, yeah. like you think of um, the st- those, you know, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana have eight senators, six of whom are Republicans. That already, um, you know, w- w- was more than enough to vault enough for the votes for the Senate bill. The, the combined uh, population of those four states is less than even the state of Connecticut, for instance, n- not to mention New York or California. Is there not like I mean, I'm talking to a lot of people who are starting to think about things like changing the way we govern or even using the word secession. Is that a, is, is that in the mayor's office? Are you guys talking <laughs> secession yet? Well, I mean, maybe after a beer on a long day at work, <laughs> you know, there's been a long history, both somewhat comedic and in some ways quite serious about the fact that, 
you know, we know for a fact that New York City sends way more revenue to Washington than we get back, right? And then you layer on top of that the fact that, yes. So we can go to Alabama. We can go to Alabama, right. We can go to Alabama. Uh, not exactly, God, <laughs> look at what day it is today. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think, look, these are serious issues. Um, I think there are a lot of folks who are constitutional scholars and people who think about election reform to try to say, you know, as the, as the nation changes, both its demographic composition and where people live, you know, we are not getting equal representation. Cities I mean, just aren't. That's, that's the a, truth. That's a, that's that a, is the truth. That is a fact. Um, can I, how are you guys working to, and I don't want to say diminish the role of Wall Street, but to, to reduce the concentration of the financial industry in the economy of, of New York? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's been very much a focus of, of New York City's efforts over the past two decades to continue to diversify our economy away from, you know, what most people have always thought that a Wall Street fuels the entire New York City economy. And, and to some extent, that is true. I mean, there, there have been points in time where um, the revenue of the city was more or less 40 or 50 percent coming from Wall Street. And just as a risk that's manager, right. yeah. that's just, you know, a very scary place to be because forget what's going on in Washington. Just cyclically, the economy is going to um, go um, in different directions. And we want to make sure that we can smooth out our revenues. We also want to make sure that we are an economy that has a series of jobs for folks at a variety of different education levels and that we don't become just a barbell economy where you have hedge fund managers and, you know, much more lower income service workers. So really for the past couple of decades and, and even more recently so, the attempt to diversify the economy by taking advantage of what technology and innovation have to offer for all of the other sectors that are already here. So we're making huge investments in fashion, for example, but not old school fashion, fashion technology, right? Um, financing laser cutters, um, training people, you know, to be in the new uh, world of e-commerce through fashion, using our incredible cultural community to have them become much more engaged in the various ways in which um, culture and technology are working and media. Um, big, big, big bets on advanced manufacturing in particular parts of the field, whether it's certain kinds of robotics, certain kinds of prototyping. You know, what we have here in New York are brilliant thinkers and a lot of people who can do stuff. Mm. And so how do you bring together the people who can actually make stuff and the people who are thinking about stuff? And I think it's a really unique environment, unlike a place like Silicon Valley, where it's really pure tech. Yeah. Right? We're interested in applications of technology, both to solve interesting civic problems, but also to make things. Um, and again, we're seeing this in fashion, we're seeing it in film, we're seeing it in, we're the first uh, city in the country to have a virtual reality lab. Um, we're seeing it in all these different ways in which we can capitalize on what we already have and then layer on technology. Um, I think that's important. We're also making a big bet on biotech and life sciences. Uh, New York City has one of the most extraordinary set of academic research institutions, but has never had the part of the equation where we're commercializing the research, unlike Boston and, again, uh, the Valley. have been very, very smart in the Bay Area about how you commercialize the research coming out of those fabulous institutions. So we're making a big bet on putting together entrepreneurs, uh, academic scientists, and um, prototypers to really test drugs and commercialize them. Right. We think that's a really exciting area, and again, offers jobs for people coming out of high school to literally rocket scientists. Right, and you've, of course, you've also marketed a bit to technology. You guys put in a bid for the Amazon second headquarters, right? 
Tell us about that. Well, I think, again, you know, the Amazon headquarters um, competition, if you will, again, highlights the strengths of New York City, which is Amazon itself is no longer, I mean, uh, what kind of a company are they? They're an everything company. And if you're an everything company that Frighteningly thinks, so yeah, to many. <laughs> but I mean, if you're an everything company that thinks you are going to be the dominant um, company in the 21st century, again, in media, in fashion, um, in logistics, in cloud, in, in all of the areas in which they are expanding, where else would you want to be but other than the global capital of all of these different industries? And you know, they talk a lot about how they want the best talent. Right. Right. And if you're going to look to hire 50,000 really talented people, there are not 50,000 people in half of the cities that have bid on Amazon that even right. have a bachelor's right. degree. Right. I mean, if you're looking for talent, <laughs> this is the place. Um, both our own academic institutions that are already here, and just our global attraction of talent. And did you team up with Newark on this, or did you did you have a sort of regional approach? Well, what we did is we did have a conversation with New York State about right. whether or not there would be multiple bids from New York State, um, and in fact. There is in the bid package an upstate uh, bid as part of it. And again, not to say anything negative right. about upstate, but again, in terms of the raw talent that they would need to attract, we don't think that that's necessarily viable. Um, what we did was we proposed four different opportunities for Amazon in New York City because, again, we have so many different ecosystems here. So if you want to be literally a placemaker, which Amazon has a history of being mm -hmm. in Seattle, our Long Island City bid, we think, is really about right. placemaking. If you want to be in the epicenter of hip and cool and where it's all happening, Staten our Brooklyn Island. bid, yeah, <laughs> our Brooklyn bid right. really captures really where the center of our startup um, right. community is. If you want to be in the place where capitalism started in America, right, you want to be where, and by the way, where Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, mm -hmm. little people don't even know this, um, was Wall Street. And you want to be in the epicenter of capitalism, we yeah. have a lower Manhattan execution for you. And if you want to be where really, Mutney would argue, sort of the future of you know global commerce is, we have a west side of Manhattan that ties in very nicely right. to what we're seeing there. And they're already there. So you know we're giving them four unbelievable options. Um, Newark, I think, is a really fascinating um, place. I think that at the end of the day, when Amazon chooses New York, it will inure to the benefit of places like Newark. Mm -hmm. I think Newark will wind up. They already have um, a company they've acquired that's located in Newark. I think it Audible, will be good for the right? region. Yeah. I think it'll be really good for the region. I don't think Newark is quite ready for Amazon yet, um, but we certainly don't wish them ill. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what's the relationship between City Hall and its uh, the most famous New Yorker of all, Donald Trump? I wouldn't say it's great. Um, and, and nor could it be, right, given the principles that we are building our government and our city on right now, which is, you know, inclusive, diverse, welcoming to all, wanting to provide, you know, jobs, education, affordable housing, and health care to New Yorkers and to be a modern city and to invest in infrastructure. Notwithstanding some of his rhetoric around that, frankly, he hasn't done anything. Right? But he's and a New Yorker. Why is I know. It, it's, just, it's so weird to see how he has been almost... He's meeting out some sort of retribution for all the years that he was treated badly by the media here or something. I don't Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's it. something he'd have to talk to his therapist about. I don't know. But, I mean, if you're <laughs> a New Yorker, right, and we're here, we're investing in a new ferry system, a new light rail system. You know, we need, we have a very aging infrastructure that we need to invest in so that we can continue Amen. to grow the economy, which, by the way, 
pays the bills in Washington as well. So the fact that they have been unable to articulate or put together any package around mass transit, around infrastructure, around healthcare, around housing, and guy comes out of real estate. He knows how important it is to have mm. a healthy housing market to support a growing economy. And yet time and time again, he criticizes, he trashes, he threatens, and, and it's ironic, right? Because this is the place yeah. that gave him you know, the ability to be who he is. And so for us at City Hall, who go to work every single day to try to think of ways to make New York a better place for everybody who's living here and everybody who we want to come here, there's a fundamental tension between the way we view the world. Yeah, yeah. I gotta ask you about security. We had another incident uh, this week, just a block away uh, at Port Authority. Uh, what is the message that you try to get out to folks who might be concerned about New York's ability to keep people safe? I mean, we live in a really, really scary time, right? And and I think that, you know, it was scary, but again, thank God nobody, you know, really got hurt and, and several other incidents we've had. On balance, you know, New York has continued to show two amazing things. One, that when an incident does happen, our police officers and our first responders are the best in the world, bar none. Um, we are the most prepared um, police, fire, and emergency services of any city in the country, and certainly I would argue even in the world. And you see that every single time something happens. And I think that that continues to reassure New Yorkers in a world of a really scary place that we have the best trained personnel. The second thing is, and this is a New York phenom, I think, you know what? Hours after something terrible happens, everybody's out, right? Hours after the horrible incident in Hudson River Park, everybody I knew got on a bike, right? And it's about solidarity, it's about feeling warmth and love and connection to your city. And you know, then when the chips are down, New Yorkers always pull themselves together. And I think that that is ultimately always gonna be our you know, cause, our, our call to arms. And so I haven't had anybody say to me, I'm nervous about opening a business in New York City. Quite the contrary, I think people say, every time something happens in New York City, I'm amazed and I'm reassured by both the reaction of the local government, but more about the people. Well, on that happier note, I thank you for coming in, Alicia. Thank you. Good luck with everything. You know, as a New Yorker, I can only hope for the best. That's what we like. As you can hear, Glenn is pretty chipper and confident, as befits the city she hails from. Anyway, that's all for this week's episode of The Exchange. This podcast was produced by Ben Kellerman, Ryan Warner, and Freddie Joyner. If you haven't already, please sign up on iTunes and anywhere else you satisfy your audio cravings for The Exchange, The Views Room, and other Reuters podcasts. You can also check us out at BreakingViews.com and at Twitter, at BreakingViews and at Rob1Cox. Thanks for tuning in and adios. Adios.